Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone and greetings in the name of Yeshua the Messiah in the name of Jesus the Christ. Today we are looking at the fifth chapter of Jacob. This is the last chapter, the last thoughts that he is bringing to the Jewish people that are scattered abroad, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, writing to Jewish believers who have lost everything or lost most of their earthly possessions, leaving Jerusalem, going to Judea and Samaria, and beyond there, he's writing to the Jewish people scattered abroad about faith in the Messiah, about their identity through the Messiah, and he's really focusing upon their personal conduct from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 5. We see that even the visions are not there. So you need to read the book of Jacob, the letter of Jacob, in its entirety where the flow of thought is interpreting itself. And we're coming to what is designated as the fifth chapter, and we're going to see some very interesting, incredible things that Jacob is going to say to these Jewish believers. So let's start in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep. And howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Shavuot, or the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man He does not resist you. Again, Jacob is dealing with this issue of putting your trust in money. Now, the debate here, or it's not so much a a debate, is he talking about believers that are wealthy, that are mistreating others, or is he speaking to the broader context of Jewish believers that are being abused by those who are wealthy and rich? And many times in those cultures... When you look at those that are extremely wealthy, they make their money by taking advantage of others. I personally believe he's talking in general here about those that have put their faith in money, those that that is their God, and how they mistreat others. And if you go back to chapter 2 about the sin of partiality, when someone comes into your congregation, into your assembly, Do not show preference to the one that has money and say to the poor man, go sit over there. It's a constant reminder that Jacob is bringing through this letter to believers that have lost most of their personal wealth, not to put your faith and trust in money. 
It was the number two subject of Yeshua as he was teaching. Number one was the kingdom of God. Number two, you cannot serve God and money at the same time. So he's writing, I believe, in general about those who are wealthy and how they made their money off of taking advantage of others and that they will have an account of their lives before God and God is the judge. And in these last days that we're living, do not store up treasures like this, but put your focus on the eternal things of God. This is what I'm seeing that Jacob is saying to them. The last verse, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So every wealthy man that takes advantage of the, of the believer or an individual that's trying to live a life right before God, there will be an account of that individual. They will stand before God and God is the judge and he knows everything that is happening at all times. Now, Yoni is here with me again for this last chapter and this is something that we have to remember it's not that we have to, but it's a privilege to put everything into the hands of God. Mm. We want to take justice and to put it into our hands and to demand justice. Living here in the West, in America, and Western culture, we have, what are they called? The social justice warriors. <laughs> so they go around the earth mm-hmm. trying to bring social justice to every single situation that they think that is unjust. According to their understanding of justice or not justice. Yes. And there's sometimes their understanding is very warped in itself. Mm -hmm. And so what is evil is good and what is good is evil many times. Here we see that those that are wealthy, those that are making their wealth off of taking advantage of the weaker, which I have lived in cultures like that before, that they will have to face God someday. Mm. And they're trying to store up treasures in these last days of wealth. Mm. Please remember, the last days is from Yeshua's first coming to his second coming. Mm -hmm. When you see scripturally in the new covenant, the last days is not just the 70th week of Daniel, that at some point that we will talk about that the, the last unit of seven at the end of the age, But you see throughout scriptures, we are living in the last days right now. Mm -hmm. The apostles understood that. We should understand it. So in these last days, those that are wealthy are storing up treasure that doesn't have any value. Mm -hmm. They cannot take with them. When they die, it dies or someone steals it Mm -hmm. or it's passed down to another generation that's going to misuse it probably in itself. Mm -hmm. However, we as believers... Our focus is the kingdom of God. It's not money. So I think in a general way, he's dealing with those that are wealthy, that have made their money off of unjust reasons and methods, let's say unjust methods, and that that's not how we live our lives as believers. And when they take advantage of us as believers, God will hold them in judgment. God will hold that into account even if we cannot do anything about it. Hmm. So we're seeing this theme throughout Jacob's letter. I want to continue here. Verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. 
The early and the late rains are a continuous rain. Living in Israel, I understand that the rains start around November, sometimes late November, early December, go all the way to the end of March sometimes. But it's a continuous rain, and after that, there's not any rain for the rest of the year until you come again until late November, early December. But a farmer has to wait patiently for the early and the latter rains that will come. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. This is something that the Word of God brings to our attention over and over. Our salvation, our hope, our redemption, our justice is in the coming of the Lord. It's not going out and making every wrong right. It's not going out and being a social justice warrior. It's going out and treating people in the right way, putting the kingdom of God first, and knowing that God is coming, and to be patient that God is coming through His Messiah, and we need to wait patiently for that redemption that is coming, that redemption that is in our hearts. One day we will stand face to face with that redemption. Again, verse 8, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And understand, if you're listening to this, he's not talking to the unbeliever here, he's talking to the believer. That this complaining, negative spirit comes into our hearts, and we start focusing on our situations and we want to repay evil for evil, and we want to put everything straight and not understanding that the coming of the Lord is when everything is put into order. That if we start complaining and letting that build up within our hearts and that becomes the focus of our lives, you're going to see your life get off track very quickly. And it's not going to be about God and His kingdom. It's going to be about you and everything that has been done to you wrongly and how you can put it back into order, and you're going to lose focus. And he's reminding them that God is judge, and he is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. As a believer, my faith is in God, in His character. God does not change. He is a faithful God, and He is a compassionate God. He is, his mercies are afresh and new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, and so I trust God as the righteous judge with my life, with my family, everything that I have belongs to God and to God be the glory and God is my judge. Praise the Lord. And so when we do that, we're not going to get off track. We're not going to be going the wrong direction. I'm not going to spend the next 20 years fighting for a cause that once we win that cause, sometimes we're worse than the people we defeated. Mm-hmm. That's what happens many times. And so our focus is in what God is going to do, what God's calling is for our lives, 
and then we'll leave everything into the hands of a righteous judge. Now let's look at verse 12. And I've come across many times confusion about this verse, and I'm going to look at it in the context of the law and what is taking place culturally within that day. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. One of the things, according to the law, that you can make an oath, but when you make an oath, it must be kept. It, it is a severe punishment of understanding to make a covenant or an oath or to swear by heaven and to make a statement like that and not follow through with that commitment or that agreement that has been made between you and another person. However, that built up culturally within that day that if I say, yes, I will do something, and then later on I can say to you, Yoni, but I didn't take an oath. Mm -hmm. I'm not bound by that. We did not make a covenant agreement. It's not something that is under the law. It technically keeps the law, but it breaks the spirit of the law. Mm. And what Jacob is saying to these Jewish believers is saying, you don't have to make an oath to keep your word. You don't have to go to that extreme to be an honest person. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. As a believer, if you tell someone, yes, that is your word, you need to have a reputation. Well, Yoni said yes to me, hmm. and then I know that it's going to be done. So almost like don't, don't overuse oaths, but also don't rely on oaths as a cop-out for not actually fulfilling your word. That's what I believe that yeah. Jacob is dealing with. And you see that culturally during that time frame. Well, I didn't make an oath, so yeah. I'm not bound by this. But as a believer, think of Old Covenant, New Covenant, Hebrew script, Scriptures, the Brit Hadashah. As believers, when we say something, that should be our word and people should be able to trust us. Mm. That yes, we said we would do this. No, we said we would not. Now, there are times in which we have to come back and say, well, I said yes, but this has changed. But at least the individual knows that we're coming from an honest perspective. And what is important is that we say yes, and when we say yes, people know that we're a person of honesty. We say no, that we're a person of honesty. So let your yes be yes, and let your no be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Because if I'm a follower of Yeshua, the Messiah, and I'm going around and I'm in part of business, and I'm saying all kinds of things just to make a deal, and I'm not keeping my word, can I come back to them later on? Boy, I didn't, make, I didn't take an oath. If we would have taken an oath, mm -hmm. uh, then I would have kept my word. And that's the only way I have to keep my word according to the law. That, I believe, is the historical background that we're dealing with. I should be able to be honest in business and everything that I do because I'm a follower of God through Yeshua, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. He has changed me. I have a different outlook on life. I'm not wanting to take advantage of the poor mm -hmm. by saying, do this, do that, and I will give you this. 
And then I turn around and give you something different and say, well, I didn't take, we didn't take an oath. Hmm. We didn't take a covenant agreement. We didn't come into something like that. So I have the freedom to change my mind. Which I think nowadays, too, the, the, the word oath has kind of been superseded with contracts. Yes. I think there's a lot of folks out there that say, well, we just we were just chit-chatting. We were just sharing this. I didn't really, you know, make a contract with you. Um, I've heard a lot of stories, you know, uh, maybe a, a, a boss says, hey, well, if you do this great job, we'll make you partner. Yes. And then, and then they do the great job, and he maybe just said it in passing, but the other person took it as a real thing. And then at the end of the day, they said, well, there was no real agreement about it. Um, but that's kind of a small way, an example of the way kind of these flippant words, we're not giving them the weight as they should. Yes. And think about, the, again, I'm always coming back to the flow of thought of what he's saying leading up to this is that the wealthy taking advantage of the poor. Mm. And some of that was probably taking place even against Jewish believers that are in very unstable economic situations. Mm-hmm. And you just need to wait patiently for the Lord and He is judge and God will deal with that situation. But you don't take an oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. So don't, as I'm looking at it, don't return and do the same thing that they've done to you. You be a person of your word. Mm. Yes, today in America, you can, if you don't have a contract, people can say, well, we don't have a contract. Mm -hmm. Some states honor verbal agreements, Mm -hmm. but many states, unless it's in writing, unless you have a contract, it it doesn't have any value at all. Mm -hmm. But as a believer, if if you're a believing businessman and you say to your employees, we will do this for you, and you verbalize that, as a believer, as a follower of Yeshua, you do it. Mm-hmm. Even if you've re- received previously the results of people not fulfilling their word, we still have the calling from Christ to fulfill our word. Yes. God expects that of yeah. us. That is the life of the Messiah. He kept his word in everything. He suffered to fulfill his word, God's word of what he should do. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah. He kept his word in every aspect of his life. So we as believers follow that example. Let's move on from here. Some individuals are going to listen to this and they're not going to be happy with what I'm going to have to say here. But again, the flow of thought, the original intent. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him." Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit." 
here, what we're looking at is that, is anyone suffering? Let's pray. Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any one of you sick? And I believe contextually this is talking about someone that is spiritually unhealthy. Mm. Normally this is put in the context of someone that is physically sick. But as we go through this, I think it's very apparent he is talking about someone that is spiritually sick. It's very similar to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant the lamb that is led to the slaughter is all about a spiritual redemption mm -hmm. of an individual. Now, Isaiah 53 in the gospel is also used for physical healing. Mm -hmm. And the Hebrew mindset is not dividing, but that we're together. Uh, both and. Both and. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that is true. And this can be used in that context as well, I believe. But if you follow the original intent and what is being said, I believe that this is talking about a spiritual sickness. Look mm -hmm. at it. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the assembly or the church. The word elders, I'm going to stop here. Elders and shepherds are the general term for leaders in the Hebrew scriptures. When Paul, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, the first missionary journey, when he's ministering the gospel and building up communities and faith in different cities, he appoints elders in every one of those congregations. Mm. Elders are spiritual leaders. They have the ability to lead. Every aspect of what we do must have leadership. And these were men that were chosen as elders and he says, is any among you sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Mm -hmm. And if you look through this whole letter, it's about personal conduct. It's about their lives being lived in the right way. And if you're not doing this, God is judge and he's standing right at the door. So if any among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the congregation. Let them anoint him with oil and pray the prayer of faith and he will be made well. He will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. It's an issue about someone that is spiritually sick here that's not living the life that they should live. Now, some people may hear this, and they will say, well, you don't believe in praying for the sick physically. That's not what I'm saying. Hmm. But if you follow the flow of thought, and this situation is not talking about a physical sick person, but someone that is spiritually unhealthy, that needs prayer, the elders come, lay hands on that individual, pray for that individual, restore him, and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven. To tie in that, I guess what you're saying, the context of, we've been talking, I guess, about people that have lost everything, and then, and, and Jacob or James is saying, don't, you know, don't become boastful, submit yourself to the Lord, and then in talking about the rich, don't abuse that. But but it seems like all throughout everything we've read, I guess it's been talking about these 
the ways like suffering and all of our all these trials of faith can lead to unhealthy situations for us. Yes. And so I guess in that context, this seems very natural. Yes. And they're sick. Hmm. Sick and spiritually. Spiritually. Hmm. And they need help. Hmm. And the next verse goes along with that. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Hmm. And, and it's pray. a therefore. Oh. Yeah. And pray for one another so that you may be what? Healed. And it's about confessing your sins. If we've sinned, you know, we bring our, our confession to the Lord. The elders pray over us. If we have committed sins, it will be forgiven to that individual and confessing your sins to one another that you may be healed. Maybe I have taken advantage of you. I have sinned against you. I'm going to confess my sins to you. And there's a healing that takes place as we acknowledge this before God and acknowledgement before men. Now, that is not saying that I don't believe in physical healing and praying and anointing with oil and praying for those that are physically sick. And again, the Jewish mindset is a holistic body, mind, soul together as one. And we see Isaiah 53, which is in the context of someone that is spiritually sick and the redemption that will come through the suffering servant. But that same passage in Isaiah 53 is used for physical healing within the Gospels. All that I'm saying is right here, contextually, we're dealing with someone that is spiritually sick. And these verses are dealing with that. Now, when we look at Elijah, again... Jacob does not separate faith from faithfulness. He doesn't separate our faith from our actions. In the same way, he doesn't separate a person of faith from faithfulness. He ties them together. Elijah, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. But look at the statement in verse 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. A man that lives for God, a man that is faithful to God, when he prays, there's power in that prayer. So again, he puts an emphasis on a man that's living right before God. The effective or effectual prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And he uses that with Elijah. He prayed, and it did not rain in the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. God was backing up the prayer of Eliyahu, Elijah, backing up his prayer, seeing his life, that this was a man of God, and he prayed, and God honored his prayers. It's an encouragement to us as believers. It's not just about having faith, but it's also about what? Faithfulness. You see where Jacob is putting the emphasis. He's not separating the two. He's not separating our faith from our action, our works. He's not separating our faith from our walk with the Lord. Mm. So even within our prayer life, it is important that we're living for God. Mm. The only prayer that God will listen to, to an individual that is rebelling against God and is not faithful to God is a prayer of repentance. Hmm. Now that is true throughout scriptures. 
I encourage you to read Isaiah 59 and see that understanding. God will not listen to a nation that is living in sin that once thinks except a prayer of repentance before God. So to put it in the positive standpoint, Elijah was a man just like you and I, dealed with the same struggles, the same things that we go through, he dealt with, but he was a man that was living for God. And when he prayed, it touched the heart of God. And he prayed it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. God honored his prayer. And then when he prayed for it to rain, God opened up the skies and it rained on Israel and on Judah. That's how important it is that we live a life that is honoring to God. Yeah, and I like what you say because I think a lot of people, they think, well, my prayers need to have faith for them to be heard. But, but I guess what's clear in this is even in, specifically in the way that it's worded, it's not just prayers of faith, but it's the prayers of faith of a faithful person. Yes, mm-hmm. that God really looks at the heart. Yeah. God looks at the individual, and when they pray, there is so much pr- power in a person that has a relationship with God that's mm-hmm. living for God. Mm-hmm. And Jacob is not separating the faith from the faithfulness of an individual. From his, his like we talked about in James, that, that life, that day-to-day, show me, show me your faith with works kind of thing. Yes. The same pattern is going mm-hmm. through this whole letter that goes through the whole Bible. Individuals today, let's make it very real for us today, going through situations in their lives, terrible situations, many times that they have created themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they have all these issues and all these problems, and they go and they listen to a a sermon. If you'll just have enough faith, Mm. enough faith, and a lot of times if you'll give money to me and put seed faith Mm -hmm. into action, you'll see God pour out blessings from heaven upon your life. And that individual is still living in the garbage Hmm. that God wants to remove from their life. What God is looking for is a prayer of repentance, Hmm. not a prayer to get rid of all the consequences of my sin and to get me out of this situation. But he's looking for a prayer of repentance and a relationship with that individual that when they come to God, they're coming to God humbly before God. And they're asking God, And they're believing God out of a life that is lived for God, knowing the faithfulness of God. And we want to bypass that many times. We want to bypass this getting our life right. See, when we have our our life right with God, our whole prayer life changes. Hmm. It's not about my mess that I've created for myself many times. It's about honoring God. Elijah was a man just like us. Same struggles, but he was a righteous man. He was in a covenant relationship with God, and God was using him. And when he prayed, there was power. Hmm. If he was living in sin, what God would be looking for in his life is a prayer of repentance. Hmm. But when he prayed for it not to rain, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again. God backed him up, showed the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah that this is my prophet, 
and it began to rain. Mm. That's how God honors a person that is living for him. And please never forget that as we're studying Jacob. We want to make it just about a head knowledge, having enough mental capacity to believe God for something that's impossible. I don't want you to discourage you from that, but I also want you to look back at my life. What is the most important thing in my life is that I'm living for God. And start dealing with that first. And see how your prayer life even changes as you begin to put the focus on God's kingdom and His righteousness. Wow, this is fantastic. I've seen so, so many things on both sides of this. You know, I, I have, I've known a lot of people, on the one hand, who have walked away from the Lord. And to, and to be frank, many times it's because of immoral relationships that have ended up not turning out the way that they had hoped for, or maybe even prayed for. And then they hold that against God because they prayed so much over it, not realizing that from the foundation it wasn't what God had intended or desired. And now they're holding this against God. So I've seen that side of it. And then, interestingly, I, I can also see the other side. You know, many times we want to, we want to have effective prayer lives. And this, is, this hits me hard, too. We want to have effective prayer lives. There's things that God has put on our heart that we pray for that aren't according to the lustful passions of our heart. There are things that are wholesome, true prayers that we want for the kingdom of God or for our city or for revival. We have tons of folks that get together all over the, all over the world that pray for revival in their cities. But what this is saying is, is, kind of, is very clear. is If you want that prayer to be effective, then you need to be looking at walking the way God has called you to walk. And that is the key. And, 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 it, and it all starts with repentance and then walking as best as we can a life that is in that repentance and in that fellowship with God that leads to a righteous life. And that allows our prayers to be effective. Yes. Think about what Paul said. Paul said, pray without ceasing. And people get confused about that. Well, how do I pray all day long? Prayer is communication with God. So all through the day, everything that we do, we're acknowledging the Lord. We're in communication with Him. Our thoughts are about Him and what we should do in the right way to honor God. And there's a constant communication that is going on between the believer, the Holy One. Do you know that we're called Holy Ones in this new covenant? And we're called Holy Ones in the old covenant. Hmm. That Holy One, that saint, comes from the understanding in the old covenant. We're called saints under a covenant relationship with God in the old and the new. It's just in the new, it has been finished. It has been completed. There's not anything else that needs to come. So when we look at this, we are in a covenant relationship with God, just Mm -hmm. like Elijah was. He was a righteous individual. We are righteous. We are holy unto God. Mm -hmm. And we're to pray without ceasing, Paul talks about. We're in constant communication with God. It's not something that I do every once in a while to pray about things that I need. It's who I am Mm -hmm. as an individual. My thoughts are on Him. I put on the mind of the Messiah. And everything that I do, I'm saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, lead me. Guide me. Direct me. It's all about a life lived for God. 
and a person that is mm-hmm. living for God, when they pray, there's power in their prayer. Yeah. Because it's coming out of a constant communion with God. Amen. And even our prayers change many times. And so it's not all about, give me, give me, give me, I need this, need this. When sometimes, not all the time, those are things that we created ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's about God, what is going to further your kingdom? And Elijah was in the midst of a spiritual battle up in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. The people were devastated and coming back to a point of, God, we need you. And he prayed, and it began to rain. Mm-hmm. And so God honors the prayers of a righteous man, a person that is in communication and a covenant relationship with God that is living for God. There's power in their prayers. And, and I, I feel the need to add this, too, because I think we do this as as believers, I do this sometimes to myself. I, I know, you know, I walk with the Lord. I know my relationship with Him, but I don't acknowledge the sins of my heart. Kind of like what it's been talking about earlier in James, the motives of the heart, what's leading us. And sometimes we can have, maybe we don't quote unquote sin in, in these very external ways that we like to show, but in our heart, there's there's violence, there's unhealthiness, there's something wrong. And we, we tend to put that out of, out of our mind and we pretend, we convince ourselves that we are living this righteous life that's in right standing with God. But if you look at what this whole book is saying, we can't just look at this one verse out of context and think, oh, well, the, the, I'm righteous because Christ gave me his righteousness. It's, it's very clear that you can be unhealthy because of the motives of our heart. We need to be addressing that as well. Yes, because Jacob is speaking to believers. Check your hearts. Check your motives. We do not live as believers under condemnation, but we should live under the conviction of God's Spirit. Mm. And I want to have God's conviction that when my motives are not right, I want the Word of God to speak to me in such a way the Holy Spirit convicts me, hey, this is wrong, wrong attitudes, Mm. wrong motives, wrong friendships, wrong things that we're watching and listening to. Mm -hmm. I want that conviction. I want God's Word to come alive within my heart. And because this is not a game, this is a covenant relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a daily walk with the Lord, a daily dying, a daily understanding of the conviction of the right way that we need to go. And you really understand this through Jacob's letter to these scattered Jews that are believers. Mm-hmm. Keep things in the right focus. And those prayers will be more powerful. Yes. Then when you pray, then when you're living for the Lord, mm-hmm. when you're going in the right direction, when you pray, there's power in that prayer. Mm-hmm. And Elijah was praying for the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. He was praying for the redemption of the people. And think about that northern kingdom of how evil it was. Hmm. And this miracle is helping to bring people back to what is important in their lives. Hmm. Now, the last two verses should make sense now. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth... And one turns him back. Now, what is Jacob doing through this whole letter? He's speaking to people that possibly are getting pulled the wrong direction in many ways. To remain strong, to remain focused on the kingdom of God. 
So it's coming out of his heart. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Think about that. That's really summarizing the whole letter. Because he is encouraging them from the very beginning not to get wrapped up in your situation. Count it all joy when you encountered various trials and tribulation. Understand that God has allowed this to go on in your lives because it's producing godly character so that you may be perfect and complete, endurance, not lacking for anything within your life. Trust God. Have faith in God. Don't put your faith in money. Don't put your faith in people that have money. Control your tongue. Be slow to speak and quick to hear. Bridle that tongue. Check your motives. Don't allow the things of the world to come into your heart. Do not have selfish ambition or jealousy. Because if you have that, every evil thing will develop within your life and within the body of the believers. There will be chaos everywhere. And know that when you live a life that is pleasing to God, your prayers have power. And if you're sick, call on the elders, the spiritual leaders of the congregation. Let them anoint you with oil, knowing that the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And if they have committed sins, it will be forgiven them. Confess your sins one to another. All of this is speaking to believers. And so when you understand that, now it goes very much against the systematic theology of Calvinism. That once saved, always saved, I'm in the kingdom, and no matter what I do, I'm saved, or if I walk away, I was never saved in the first place, which goes against everything I believe that the Bible teaches from the beginning to the end. This is a daily walk of faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, that must be lived out with our life, and we cannot be pulled the wrong direction. We can, but we must not allow it to happen within our lives. And when we see someone going the wrong direction... Look at what he says. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, a person that was in the truth but now is sinning against God, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Hmm. And that's the whole letter. That's what Jacob is writing to make sure that they don't get a hold of the things of the world and stray from the truth, Mm -hmm. but they stay rooted and grounded in the things of God. What a powerful letter. Five hours, probably five or six hours just on Jacob. And we look at this, and I encourage everyone that's listening, go back and read it over and over again. Take out the chapter and verse divisions. Don't read it in a way that you're isolating the thoughts But go back and read it from beginning to end and show how it's flowing from a historical context and show of how relevant it is, not for just them at that time, but how relevant it is for us today. What it meant is what it means for us today. And don't put it into your own context. Don't put it into your own systematic theology. But allow God's Word to speak for itself 
and let the conviction of God's Spirit be upon our hearts. This is the Word of God that is coming, and it should bring a holy fear. There is a holy fear. There's an unholy fear that we run away from God, but there is a fear that is the beginning of wisdom that we don't run away from God, but with honor and respect and reverence, we come to God knowing that God is the judge and we humble ourselves before God. Let there be a holy fear that comes within the body of the Messiah. God, we want to live for you. We want to honor you. We want everything to be about your kingdom. Keep us going in the right direction. We pray in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.